Hello and welcome to the Interfish Podcast, where we bring you the week's most interesting and compelling seafood news. I'm Drew Cherry, Editor-in-Chief. I'm joined today by Executive Editor John Fiorillo. We're by ourselves. Uh, other people are, are off, having a, having a May 1st day off. But we do not. We're going to hold the fort. We're going to soldier through and, and give you the podcast that you so need and deserve in these dark times. John! Uh, why don't we, uh, hit on, uh, Red Lobster and on casual dining, and then we'll move a little bit into, uh, what's happening in the salmon, particularly the farm salmon world. Um, but, uh, but we already knew Red Lobster was, was having a little bit of, uh, of, of trouble even before we went into coronavirus. Um, and then, uh, they have shuttered a lot of restaurants. They've tried to move to, to take out like everybody else has, but you dug in a little bit deeper, uh, you and Rachel did last week. Um, and, and what did you find? It's, it appears worse than it seems for, for casual dining, uh, seafood in, in the U S at least. Yeah, casual dining has been in decline just in general for quite a long time. It's quick serve, and those types of uh, fast casual places have exploded. Think Chipotle and that type of thing. So the the category's already been in decline, and you know the results of the coronavirus are not helping it, obviously. But specifically with Red Lobster. We talked a little about it last week, but, you know, Moody's has signaled uh, concern about Red Lobster and its ability to pay a nearly $400 million term loan, which is due a year from now. But, you know, it's still it's still uh, a concern. So uh, we started with that and then broadened it out to the entire um seafood casual dining segment if you will and you know the kind of the one of the bigger players in there is Landry's and they own Bubba Gump and um, the Ocean Air and Joe's Crab Shack and you know these are all casual dining seafood chains with with cachet in the sense that they're brands that are recognized and Landry's also owns Golden Nugget Casinos so they are struggling as well. They're having to ask for a lot of cash to keep things working. They're in the same place as everybody else with, you know, converting the restaurants to some sort of takeaway format. So beyond that, we thought, okay, well, what about all the other ones? Bonefish Grill, Benihana, Legal, you know, these are all uh, chains that are in that, in that segment. And, yeah, they're all they're all kind of in the same boat. They're facing some really strong headwinds in light of the coronavirus. So, you know, I got to the point where I just thought, wow, will will there be a casual dining seafood segment when this is all done? And that was the question I posed in in a column this week. So, yeah. That's that's kind of the quick story. I mean, what does that mean if those restaurants were to go away in terms of of consumption, at least in the in the U.S. Um, if if they lose that that segment? Yeah, well, I mean, just on the sales, um, just looking at sales, those 
those ones I mentioned are about four billion in sales um, between them. Red Lobster is about half of that. If you add Red Lobster and Landry's restaurants, that's about seventy percent of the seafood casual dining dollars. Wow! So it's a lot, and you know, there's also the optics of it, right? I mean, if from a consumer point of view or a public point of view, if you were to lose iconic uh, seafood restaurant um, chains such as Red Lobster or even Bubba Gump, you know, the optics are really not good. It implies in some ways that seafood has lost its footing at food service, which I don't think is true, but it, you know, it could be perceived that way. And certainly it's not good. Um, a lot of seafood is still sold through quick serves and stuff like that. But, you know, I mean, Red Lobster has been around for 52 years. It's, it is the poster child. So I'm not saying we're going to lose it, but you know, you can imagine the, the way the news would be if, if that went under. Yeah. Well, and I think it's just, it's emblematic of, of what's going to happen to a lot of seafood restaurants, obviously. Um, you know, they, they don't have the exact same kind of massive seafood restaurant chains in any European countries, but just it, it, the, the same thing is certainly happening, obviously, because the restaurants are closed. And um, just early reporting on food service that we've done in the UK, for example, um, companies like Direct Seafoods and, and M&J are obviously really, really struggling because the clients are gone, you know, and, and when do they come back? Well, States are opening up. Some countries are easing restrictions, but um, you know it doesn't mean just because restrictions are eased that the public is going to go out and want to have this kind of dining experience. And I think that's the larger question: is um, are people going to feel comfortable? Are they are they going to feel like there is a there is now a a risk benefit? Uh, decision that consumers have to make when going out to eat, which is kind of, um, it's going to be interesting to see psychologically how that plays out. And I, I guess that depends how long, you know, how countries recover as they go through their kind of comebacks. Um, you know, are they able to stay open? Um, do we go through waves of this, you know, um, but yeah, it'll be interesting. Yeah, it, it will be interesting. And I think I agree. I mean, I definitely agree with what you're saying. I think it's going to be a very slow transition back to, you know, hey, let's go to the restaurant. And restaurants won't be able to seat everybody like they did before anyways because of social distancing. And most are estimating that they'll seat half the tables they did. So where does that leave us? It leaves us in a very interesting spot. It leaves us in this carry uh, takeaway, you know, type of environment we've been uh, living in for the last month or two. And when you when you look at that, you see some really, um, I don't know, it, the weakness in seafood uh, becomes apparent. And and by that I mean if you look at Blooming Brands, which is the owners of Outback. Bonefish Grill, uh, Caraba's Italian Grill, and Fleming Steakhouse. Those are their kind of flagships, right? So we took a look at, well, how are their off-premise sales doing, you know, since uh, early March through early April? 
And as you might expect, they all took off, right? They're, they've all grown because that is, that is uh, the only business they can do. But across those four brands, the one that has grown slower than all and less than all of the rest is Bonefish Grill. Now, <laughs> that, I think that shows an inherent weakness in, in the seafood takeaway world. Um, at least it does to me. Because here's the, the funny thing. Fleming's Steakhouse had no takeaway at all in the first few weeks of March. And by the end of, uh, by April 12th, it had, it had, you know, taken over, it had soared where uh, Bonefish Grill had, had not. So, you know, and they're all like that. The other two are like that as well. So uh, there's just something there that tells me there's a weakness with these casual dining chains, seafood chains in general, but I don't know. Well, it speaks to what we've been reading uh, and writing about uh, over the past couple of weeks, which is that pivot to retail. And everybody's scrambling to make that happen for an obvious reason. And when you start making those changes, um, and not just on the consumer side, but on the production side, um, you can't just reverse course quite so easily. And so I do think that there's a new supply chain being built and uh, you know, I think people are not ready to go full force into changing their business models just yet. But, um, but I think as people take stock when these uh, when the countries do reopen and people go back to dining out, I think when people take stock, they're going to find that uh, a lot of their customers are not coming back. Um, and and like you said, these these sort of Old ways, uh, I guess, quote unquote, old ways of eating seafood. Um, I remember several years ago, it was it was a, an incredible percentage of Americans. The very first experience they had with seafood was eating at Red Lobster, mm-hmm. and that has changed dramatically, of course. Um, and it's it is a moment where where seafood has a, an opportunity to. Uh, reposition itself um, and and you know re- reinvent itself for this new era. You know, just before we we pivot there, I, I, I that's a good point, and I thought about this after the column. Somebody actually sent me a, a note on it, but could could we see Red Lobster pivot away from that in you know casual dining in in restaurant dining to something more like a chipotle or something like that i think that would be very fascinating to watch them try and convert into you know more of a fast casual type of approach and you know their competitors in quick serve and fast casual have done that they 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 do a lot of they use seafood but they you know they provide it in different uh easier to enter kind of formats and i just I've just been thinking about that. I, I think it's very possible that somebody like a Red Lobster might emerge from this in a whole different format, but we'll see. You know, I don't know. I don't know if I agree. I think that what we might see is, you know, we might see more seafood items being added in general to some of these uh, menus. I think you see in uh, larger cities that that's happening as it's part of the, the health 
um, the health trend, um, you know, a lot of the, the grains and healthy salads and things do have salmon or shrimp on them, for example. So it may be, um, you know, it may be that this idea of a seafood restaurant, um, you know, is that something that resonates with people anymore? I don't know. I don't know if that's something where people go as a destination. Do they see seafood in that way anymore? It used to be kind of fancy that you would go out to eat seafood. Um, or maybe is it, you know, going to be integrated more into the supply chain? And I think um, we're covering this right now, and I'll have some stories on it next week, but I think the whole idea of the meat shock, of the land, uh, of the ruminant and poultry meat shock is very interesting and poses an opportunity for seafood as well. And does that mean that they slip into the supply chain in, in some way? Um, yeah. Which does take us to our next topic or our, our next uh, item here, which is uh, salmon and farm salmon, because it seems to me like it's going to end up even more of a winner uh, from all this. Why um, it's it's not any inherent uh, amazing features in uh, in Atlantic salmon that you know for example I don't know Atlantic cod doesn't have right but what does it have it has a extremely stable supply chain logistics are fantastic for salmon uh, it can be used in so many different ways um, the companies are there to 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 back it and to um, to invest in value-added products. So what we've seen um, is that salmon, while as the, as the quarterly earnings come out, everyone's warning that the second quarter and kind of the full year is going to take a hit, no doubt, no question. But at the same time, the long-term uh, outlook uh, analysts have been really bullish on it and um, looking beyond the end of this year. Um, right now, an a a ABG Sundle Collier um, had a uh, had a, a note out. Uh, they've got a buy on all their salmon shares, um, and and they said unprecedented retail demand is is going to continue to move the species forward, and it, it may actually even get more people eating salmon uh, as as retailers uh, around the world say, well, what can I really count on? What can I count on right now in terms of a species? Um, when you have to narrow your offering, you're going to narrow it down to those top, you know, it used to be the top five. Increasingly, the top five species have been uh, in in stores at the expense of a lot of others. Well, now it seems with the reduction of the fresh case, you're going to see even fewer species maybe. Um, and again, things people can rely on. Um, and, you know, it, it's just a, a, across the board, people that are um, companies that are in the sector or analysts are saying that, um, you know, this is this is a safe, a safe haven um, for in, in terms of investing, uh, investing money. You see this week that with the annual and quarterly reports coming out, companies Salmar, Nori Royal, they have they have no plans to slow down their investments. And so they don't see, uh, you know, they don't they don't see any major uh, massive uh, shock coming to their supply chain, um, which is interesting. They they may be off, they may be wrong, um, but as of now, people are very 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 bullish. Land based salmon, another one. Um, you know, Nordic Aqua Farms 
they're expanding their project in California and say that their you know their their efforts in Maine, no change there. We've still yeah. seen companies able to raise money for those types of project projects. Atlantic Sapphire is going to IPO on Tuesday, um, and you know you can look at their share price today. Today alone, their share price is up seventeen percent mm. in anticipation of the uh, of the listing, and that puts their market cap at around eight billion dollars, um, which is is kind of crazy. But it tells you what we may see um, next next week. We may see uh, an explosive uptake for for these shares. Um, so that, that just, just shows that investors at least do not feel like salmon is, uh, nearly as volatile as, um, as some of these other species. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I, I think the investors are totally correct. I mean, this is, I think this is the silver lining of the Corona as far as seafood is concerned. I, I mean, I did not expect salmon to hang so strongly and actually advance um in light of what's been going on here but you hit on it very well i mean it's got a stable supply chain companies are very professionalized they're you know their corporations traded on on the stock exchanges so they're transparent and the product is wonderful in, in the sense that consumers are they don't have all those inherent barriers with salmon that they have with other seafoods, you know, don't know how to cook it, blah, blah, blah. They've become very, very comfortable with it. It's kind of treated now just as a staple. You go to the store, you get some chicken, you get some ground beef, you get some salmon for the week. Yeah. You know, that type of thing. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'm astounded by how well it's doing in light of this. And, and, you know, if you look at, okay, if you look at some other seafoods that have surged during this period, canned tuna, for example, are people going to stay with canned tuna after all this is done? I don't, I don't think so. There'll maybe be an uptick, but you know, they're not, uh, canned tuna didn't do something so spectacular that people won't be able to, you know, live without it, so to speak. But but salmon's a little different. It's you know, it's providing a lot more to the consumer um, than some of these other seafoods that have surged. And um, you know, it's it's there to stay. It's meeting a consumer need. Um, it's got a great health profile. All those things we know. So yeah, I'm I'm a you know, I I think the analysts are spot on, spot on with what they're predicting. Yeah, I I agree, and I think it's um, you know it, it's it's going to float other boats. I think in the seafood sector for for salmon to do uh, to do so well, but uh, when you look at what your options are in the seafood supply chain, um, you see a lot of potential challenges. For example, with wildfish. Um, you have the Alaska Pollock uh, season uh, coming up not too long from now. You have the Pacific Whiting season, for example. Well, in the Alaska salmon season, well, look at the question marks surrounding those seasonal wild fish. That becomes far more complex than it used to be. Suddenly, the supply chain has this whole additional layer of complexity of of health regulations. Um, 
and uh, and and uh, pressures on the supply chain. And it's not that those aren't happening in in aquaculture and the salmon farming sector, but it's much easier to control those. So the the supply chain from a farm to a plate is very short, really. They they by distance they may be a long way away, but in terms of where do they go? Uh, you know, they they're really being handed over from the company to the buyer. Now you can't really say the same about wild fish. Um, some of the larger industrial ones, you you can, um, but again, those supply chains. Say when you're looking at Alaska salmon, which we we hit on last week or the week before uh, in the podcast. Um, when you're looking at all the things that could potentially go wrong in a in a seasonal fishery like uh, like that, um, there's real reasons for buyers to retreat to. Um, things they can count on. And I think farm salmon is going to end up being the the winner there. Yeah, I totally agree. Another one that surged was surimi seafood. And it'll be interesting to see, I, I mean, obviously, I don't think it'll hold the attention that, that salmon is going to hold with consumers. But that's one that I could see, you know, um, surviving this whole thing with, with an uptick, a, a, an uptick that, stays uh there after this is all done but yeah nothing like salmon of course well we're coming into another exciting week uh we've got a lot of things on the agenda to to look at um we're going to be bringing you uh some great coverage on feed this next week talking about r&d development and feed and whether or not that's going to slow down we have good stories on the alaska pollock sector and the market there in europe uh coming up and uh, and as well, some some continuing follow up on salmon and the the earnings that came out. So um, we already have a very full plate for uh, for next week for our coverage. Uh, we do have a uh, a webinar coming up on the heels of uh, the uh, seafood leadership webinar that we did last month. Uh, John, you'll be moderating this one. Tell us a little bit, bit about it. It's on May 12th. Um, we've got a pretty spectacular lineup and a really interesting topic. Yeah, we, we have a great lineup indeed. And the topic is plant-based and cell-based seafood, which is, as you all know, is one of the hotter food trends right now um, around the world. So, we decided that we, we just did a report on it. We just wrote a, one of our business intelligence reports on the developments within that sector. And we thought it'd be great to get some of the uh, plant-based people, the cell-based people like uh, uh, Blue Nalu and some of those other ones and some seafood people um, on and just explore where this is going and look at the opportunities and challenges it, it presents for seafood in general. But, um, yeah, I think, I think it's going to be fascinating to uh, kind of pull back the covers on this and hear directly from some of the pioneers in, in this, uh, this sector. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. Like you said, it's just kind of phenomenal, the amount of money and attention going into it. So, um, yeah, looking forward to that. All right, well, we will wrap it up uh, there, and uh, we'll look forward to being back next week. And, uh, and our partner, Rachel Mutter, should be back in the office by then, I'm assuming, after her lovely Friday off today. So thank you, John, and we'll talk to you all next week.